This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Swings here and he drives one deep in the center. Puig is racing back, still going back. He looks up, it's gone! Over the center field wall for Hunter Pence. Pence will touch them all and score them all. A grand slam for Hunter Pence. It's not easy when it's tough. That's when you find out what you're made of. You get so much Brisby in your ears if you want it. If you want Brisby, oh gosh, you get it. Anybody want coffee? I'm making coffee. Anybody want? Yes! 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 I'm a frequent coffee drinker. I'm part of the club. I have a card. You're listening to The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 31 of The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Hunter Pence, how are you doing today? World Series time. Grant Brisby, I'm doing good. Great to be back. We are in World Series time and it has been a crazy playoff season, a crazy game one. Man, just an unbelievable time as a baseball fan. World Series time. It's the best time. It's the best time. October's the best time. October, And you know what? Let's get into this and let's set it up in a way that allows us to to kind of pick your brain because apparently you are a baseball genius with your predictions. You are you are just ahead of the game. You're thinking about this in seven dimensions. All right, roll that clip, Brian. Book this. Braves, bravos, bravos to the World Series and winning it all. Freddie Freeman's hungry. He said, Chipper Jones, you're missing the one thing. I'm coming for it. Dodgers are not going to make the World Series. That's my bold prediction. Last bold prediction. Gigantes to the playoffs. Los Giants, baby. All right. Now, so there's a lot to unpack there. You've got the Braves making the World Series and the Dodgers not. You also have the Giants in the postseason before anyone else did. What can we learn from you, Hunter Pence? Well, listen, first off, Grant, (laughs) that was like after watching last year. And Grant, I've been bringing this up about the Braves. First and foremost, I definitely would not have predicted it if I knew that Acuna was going down, if I knew they were going to have the first half they had. So I feel like I may have predicted that at the beginning of the season based off of how amazing their last year was, how I actually think they would have gone to the World Series if... 2020 wasn't the crazy year where they were not playing in LA and Atlanta. They were playing at the Rangers ballpark. And that is a bigger ballpark where Mookie was able to rob several home runs that completely changed the game. That was home runs at both of the other ballparks. So in my opinion, last year, the Braves were kind of, you know, snuffed out by a really weird sort of 2020, which everyone can agree to that. So I was like, you know what? And Freddie won the MVP. Chipper had called him out. And so like at the beginning, I was like, the Braves are really good last year. And they're hungry this year. They felt that pain. So I just kind of felt that. But if you told me it was going to happen the way it's happened, this was lucky. And I feel like I've unpredicted it. Because when it came playoff time, I think I picked the Giants to go to the World Series. So I can't be a genius, but it is interesting to talk about. It's just funny because when you talk about preseason predictions versus uh, reality, like, of course, so much has changed. Like, if you're telling me, look, the Dodgers are going to lose Kershaw and, and, you know, Bauer, and they're going to do this, but, and then in the middle of it, they trade for Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, and then you're back on board. Like, everything changes so much. And when I was watching game one, like, I started thinking, like, okay, like, Framber Valdez is hanging curveballs here. Like, you can't predict that. You can just say this guy was a, a dominant in his last ALCS start. Like, you know, you just, you focus on what he can do. And like, the postseason is almost won and lost by this guy hung a curveball and this guy was waiting for it. Like something that simple, that in the moment that just throws all your preseason, all your pre-series predictions uh, to heck. Well, first and foremost, Grant, I get really kind of tilted when I hear hung a curveball because... This is, first of all, kind of taking some credit away from a really great swing because Framber, Framber Valdez is throwing 96 with a nasty hook. A hung, what, tell, explain to me what a hung curveball is. I want to understand. Up in the zone. Uh, from a nerd's perspective, it's up in the zone. It was a get it in count to Jorge Soler, but then also just curveballs maybe that weren't as down on the corners, biting off a little bit more strike zone than he wanted. 
The thing is still breaking, by the way, and like a, a more up curveball could look like a high fastball that's hard to swing at. Those those can freeze you. And like if you go and look at like it was like it was kind of down inner third, like caught a little bit of the plate. But you're expecting someone throwing 96 with like this crazy spin, right? The curveball is biting out of this world. It happened to be in the strike zone. He makes an amazing read, feels the the, the curveball, connects with it because it's like. Even if it's a strike, it's still breaking a ton. And also, like, hanging a curveball to me when I was younger, sorry, this is a whole different tangent, was like, like you said, like, up in the zone or, like, one that didn't break. But sometimes a, a breaking ball that doesn't break is more crazy because you're expecting it to break. So I'm going to say a hitter had a good at bat off a of framework because let's say he doesn't hang it and it becomes a ball, then he has to take it. And now it's a ball and he's walking everybody. So I don't buy this hung a curveball thing, Grant. All right, I will reframe it. You make excellent points. Sometimes your preseason predictions get uh, thrown for a loop because the hitter is in the right spot and connects with a pitch he can do damage on, and he's ready for it in a way where sometimes hitters aren't ready for it. Is that a better framing? I mean, Framberg Valdez didn't have as good a performance because, you know, like it's just stuff versus stuff. There, You can throw a strike, you can throw a ball. Your stuff has to find a way to get in the strike zone and get them out or get them to chase. But maybe it wasn't on the course. Maybe he left it over the middle, I guess. I guess, I guess maybe they were hanging curveballs. I don't know. But <laughs> but I, it's more I just, I mean. it's a hanging curveball. But this is just like to get the idea of like, of course, your preseason predictions are going to shift throughout the months. You've got May's information in June and July's. But it's almost like two days ago, I had ideas of what was going to happen in the World Series. And then you're watching. It's like, all oh, right. You know, and it's just it's just who's executing, who's doing, you know, the good baseball things more than the other team. And it's as simple as that. And it's just baseball so freaking hard to predict. It is very hard to predict. And I definitely... Kind of lucky here as far as, like, because let's just go back to the Astros in Boston. We both take the Astros. We watch three games. And you see the, the the Red Sox doing what they were doing to the Rays, like this unstoppable offense. And Framber Valdez's, I believe, first start against the Red Sox didn't go that well, if I remember correctly. There's been a lot of games we've been watching. And then his next start, he's like unbelievable. And they like completely shut down the Red Sox offense that was hitting everyone and everything. I'm not sure what clicked or what went different because, I mean, it's still 96. It's still pretty nasty curveballs from Framber, good or bad. So let me ask you this. When you watch a team like the Red Sox who are just stacked in their lineup or you watch a team like the Giants who set a franchise record for home runs get shut down by another team, how much of that is the other team's execution, the other team's planning? How much of that is the offense, the lineup just not executing the way that they want to do? Like, what's the ratio? What's the combination? How are you looking at a team struggling like that? It's tough to really put your finger on exactly. You know, like, for instance... I kind of heard that like the Giants may have switched their offensive strategy a little bit in the series against the Dodgers because they had a feeling that the umpires of that particular series had bigger strike zones. So they were like, we want to attack a little bit earlier. And like, because their whole season, they had this whole compound interest, patience, patience, patience. I don't know if that's true or not. It could be like some game plan change. It could be, you know, there's, there's, there's so many variables. But at the end of the day, it's being in the moment, competing, like you know what Fran Valdez has. He has really hard sinking fastball and a really big powerful curveball. But if you can adjust and like guess right or put the right bat angle on it, you have a good chance to do damage, but he still has a good chance to beat you even if you guess right. So it's really just competing and like really solving that riddle. Like could I don't think you could have solved that the Red Sox offense was going to not be able to hit the same pitchers that they were able to hit. I don't know why that happened. And I unfortunately didn't get to watch the games live. I just got to look at the box score. And I'm just kind of scratching my head. like Because the games I watched, they were lighting everything up. I was watching great approaches. Kike's swing was as good as I've ever seen. Maybe they hit the ball right at somebody. There's so many weird variables in baseball. But at the end of the day, good pitching, in my opinion, pitching and defense beats good hitting. And if you're looking at these two lineups, the Astros, I think, is a better offense. And I think the Braves has a little better pitching. Now, Charlie Morton, which is a whole other story in itself, just broke his leg. But Charlie Morton breaking his leg and pitching 16 pitches, unbelievable. But also, this makes game two, which you're going to have already seen, so much more important, in my opinion. So I think the Braves have better pitching, but now losing Morton, you're going to need Smiley to be the A-Smiley. And that's a big deal. 
it's interesting to see what they're going to have to do. I mean, Drew Smiley did make, you know, I think 25, 28 starts for them this this year. I'm a Drew Smiley fan, a believer. Like, he struggled in the early part of the season, but he's been a, a part of this, this Braves renaissance in the second half. Like, he is good. I like him better, like, as a weapon out of the bullpen. I think that's the biggest issue with the Charlie Morton injury, other than losing Morton's uh, effectiveness, is that Smiley was such a good weapon to bring in and, you know, give you a couple innings, like, one of those Kente Maeda types where you smear a petite, where he's going to give you length, he's going to give you effectiveness. Missing that is going to be a little bit of an issue. Uh, I like Kyle Wright as a prospect, as a young arm, but it's not the same as like saying, okay, here's Drew Smiley for two, three innings, deal with it. I do think that like baseball in the playoffs is a completely different game than baseball in the regular season, just because you have way more off days. So losing like a bullpen guy that can fill innings is horrendous in the regular season because you need every inning is tough on the toll of the amount of players you're you're allotted for a regular season. And like that's why September Cobbs was such a relief is because you can like start getting these pitchers balanced rest versus like every inning that you can eat up as a starter or or that long guy is so detrimental to the team's success and health and like keeping your your hot guys hot and just making the whole engine run. In the playoffs, they're going to play two games, have a day off, play three games, have a day off. That's a whole different ball game because everyone's fresh. You have your fullest, your best bullpen every day. You're now working off of most likely you can work off of three starters in the playoffs as opposed to needing five starters in the regular season. So I don't think it's that big of a hit other than in the playoffs, it's the best three of each team. And now they're losing... You know, because if, if you're just going Freed, Morton, Anderson, you have three, these are three aces. And the Astros have kind of the same thing, three aces. But I think that the edge was a little bit Braves and now losing Morton, they're going to Smiley. And if you get an ace Smiley, he fits. I love Smiley. I played with him. I believe in him. But Charlie Morton has just been there, done that, won a, came in and won a game seven. He's been in the, you know, the World Series the last two years. And it's like the last five years has been all Charlie Morton. So that's a big hit no matter, even though Drew, Drew Smiley is great and that's probably who's going to get the ball. That to me is, is like kind of the variance here. The playoffs is a different game than the regular season. Yeah. Does it surprise you at all that Charlie Morton just pitched for, you know, what, 20, 30 pitches on a broken leg? Does that surprise you at all? It was 16 pitches. The thing that surprises me is you have adrenaline and you don't necessarily know right away. So like the 10 pitches got through it, sitting down for a half inning and going back out and striking out Altuve is insane. That got me. And he's just like, he's just throwing his pitches and then he hits this curveball, lands on the foot and he's like, uh-uh, something's wrong. Like, And you couldn't even like see it in his face until that particular pitch, right? Like you didn't even see it. That's insane. Yeah, like hearing the update, the medical update, well, it turns out his fibula is broken. It's like, what? When I broke my elbow, I typed out a 1,500-word story. Is that more impressive to you, or, or is it tight? No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Of course uh, it's more. That's impressive, too, Grant. That's impressive, too. I'm not going to no, lie. I, I'm blown away by him You're sitting down and, and going up uh, and striking at Altuve. That is is just bananas. But now you've got Drew Smiley is good against, like, he doesn't have platoon splits. I mean, he, his breaking stuff is going to be nasty on righties and lefties alike. But when you look at the Astros roster and you're talking Altuve and Bregman and Correa and Gurriel and McCormick, it seems like they're a little bit better set up against a lefty. Am I reading too much into that? No, I don't think so. And I think you would have to look at the numbers and like how they did versus lefties and how they did versus righties. It is a kind of a right-handed dominant. But one of the, another thing that's like very fascinating to me, Grant, and this new era of the data-driven and like, for instance, the Giants winning 107 games with the line shift. And even the Dodgers, when Farhan was running them and they were doing the line shift, has done exceptionally well in the regular season, but it has yet to win a World Series. Granted, there's not as many teams running it. We've only seen teams win the World Series with solid lineups with maybe one or two swing guys like that that you switch righty lefty. Like you look at these two lineups and these are lineups that are going to be pretty consistently the same barring one or two people. Uh, having everyday guys makes the righty lefty matchup thing not as big a deal unless a team has a huge variance righties versus lefties. But I do think, yeah, losing a Charlie Morton, whether it's righty or lefty and, and them maybe being a little bit more right hand heavy. It's a big deal to me. What, what it really magnifies is game two. And Max Freed, who I think is one of the, you know, maybe the best, the best pitcher right now in this series. 
as far as like who you want in, in if it's a pivotal game. So Freed really needs to win and bounce back because he didn't have a great start against the Dodgers in a clinching game. A little bit of command issues, probably a little too much adrenaline because it was a chance to win for the World Series. Maybe he learned from that. I think we're going to see an exceptional Freed. And I think this is a little bit be- only because of Charlie Morton getting hurt. This is somewhat of a must win for the Braves tonight. Let me go back to to something because I want to unpack that a little bit. When you're talking about the line change maybe not working as well in the postseason, do you have a theory for that? Do you think that you mentioned the off days earlier in reference to relievers, but is there a possibility like, look, if you are sitting, if you're on the bench for one day and then you're in for the next day, like that's a little bit easier, but the off days kind of stretch out how few pitches you're seeing, or is it just uh, the consistency that you get from being an everyday player? Do you have a theory on why the line change might not be as effective? I definitely think that the off day is a part of it because like, for instance, like the line change can be really awkward for rhythms and stuff, even in the regular season, because sometimes you can go three, four days, like not getting in there. But a lot of times with the Giants or, or even these line change teams, you're getting in every single day, even though it's not as many at bats. So because there's so many games, because you're pinch hitting at certain times, so you're still getting at bats, you're still staying in it. And honestly, like think of the Red Sox, like Chris Sale and David Price in, in 2018, I believe it was, and Bellinger and Max Muncy, who were their two best hitters that year, weren't even in the lineup, you know? So, like, you're going in down, down 0-2, your first game of the World Series, they're jumping in, two of your best hitters. So, I don't know exactly why. Maybe it's the off days. I don't know. I'm just saying we haven't seen it succeed in the playoffs yet. And there's not as many teams doing it, you know? There's maybe one, maybe two doing it a season, uh, you know, Farhan is kind of the inventor of this whole thing where you just always are doing the the switcherooski uh, line change. My theory on it is like, I just think that having players that play every single day and just get into that rhythm and then have like sparing off days can just, it, you just black out anything. It's just your best players are out there. It's harder during the regular season to be that guy and to stay healthy and it's, it's difficult, but then when you get to the playoffs with those players and they get those day, days of rest, you're like kind of in the perfect balance of like just ready. And like when you get the off day, you're, it elevates you and makes you even better. So the reason the righty-lefty line change is better is because you're everyone's a little rested and really and, – and it's if you can get the buy-in, is extremely good. But then when you get to the playoffs, you have – like you're just a, a little notch behind – because these guys have been in there every day and now they're also rested. So I think once you get to the playoffs with that particular strategy, I think you have an advantage just because of you're just in there every day facing righty, lefty, doesn't matter. And you get used to it. It's not as big of a difference when you're playing every day. There might be a small difference, but you get used to it and you're probably going to be a little better, let's say lefty on lefty, if you're in there facing it every day. Right. And these big moments and you're the best hitter that they got. So no matter which bullpen guy they bring in and now you're also getting a little bit extra rest. I think that's one of the biggest reasons it's really strong in 162 is you stay a little fresher with the line change. But I think once the playoff comes, those guys getting 600 at bats, 550 at bats. Those are the guys that are going to find a way to win in the biggest moments. You know, for watching postseason baseball for decades and decades and always having this idea of like, yeah, you got to pay attention to the off days because of relievers and pitching and pitching and relievers. My mind is blown now by this idea of, yes, the off day is going to make a huge difference in how you attack a lineup in the everyday player versus the platoon player. Why didn't I think of that before? That The way you explained it, it makes such, such a huge, like, it makes so much sense the way you explained it. First of all, we're not robots. And, and yeah, there's data that shows numbers, but there's a story behind the numbers. And I, as a human being, have lived it, watched it, seen the emotions of players that have to like do pinch hitting and do all of this. Also felt playing 162 games, everything being sore, having the worst like last month ever. This was in 2014. Like having a cr- almost like, like being in kind of the talks of MVP and then literally getting two hits in the whole last month getting a couple days off and my whole body coming back to life and just being like, whoa, I'm a whole different person with a few days off. So like I witnessed it, I felt it. And so like having that experience teaches you things, right? Like if you're like being the scientist of your life and being like, I love to study baseball. So I did it when I was young. I did it when I was older and like watching and just feeling and experiencing it. So I guess you just kind of, the experience is the only way I was able to be, have that awareness kind of. One thing as a, the difference between being a fan and being a professional writer is that realization with, with talking to players and seeing them and their reactions to certain questions, 
just how battered you are by the end of a season, how long a 162-game season is. And, like, as a fan, it's like, oh, you know, like you say, like, oh, the robots, oh, you know, just go out there and do what you did in May. And, like, the more evidence that piles up as you start covering these guys, it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, A, I'm tired, and all I do, I'm a keyboard warrior. But, you know, B, like, yes, it's a grind in every day to go out there. And even if you're an athlete at the tippy-top, Peak physical condition, 162 games. Like, whose idea was that? Because that is a long baseball season. Yeah, I don't know. But, like, history is, like, off of a 162 season. So, I don't know if we can back out of it now. Uh, (laughs) Right. You know, and, like, I have some arguments, like, about the runner at second base in the regular season versus the postseason. And people are like, well, I don't like it for either. And I'm like, I don't like it for baseball. But for the regular season, for humanity, I like it. Because being a position player out there for 17 innings is inhumane. And then catching a flight and trying to get to somewhere at 6 in the morning and playing a game that same day, like – You need to get these games over a little bit quicker in the regular season for the humanity of the players. Like when you're doing the line change, you would think mathematically, oh, well, I'll just face this guy versus Rays and this guy versus Lefties. But they start losing a little bit of rhythm. They start losing a little bit of timing. So there's so many ways that you can get really, really down a deep rabbit hole. But yeah, I don't know. I I just that's how I feel about it as far as the humanity of it. But I definitely know that the playoffs is a different game because of these extra off days and I do think that there's a huge benefit to getting 550 at-bats and then starting getting the off days in the playoffs. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. All right, we are going to bring in our guest today. We have Sean Casey. He is a three-time All-Star. He's played for the Indians, Reds, Pirates, Tigers, and Red Sox. He is also an MLB Network analyst, MLB Network. They're airing live on-site coverage before and after every World Series game in Houston and Atlanta. You can check out Sean's new podcast, The Mayor's Office. His guest this week is former All-Star pitcher Jason Grilly. Sean Casey. How are you doing? What's happening, Sean? What's up, Hunter? How you doing, man? What's up, Grant? How you guys doing, man? Doing well. How are you enjoying this postseason so far? Oh, man, it's been awesome, right? I mean, if you're a baseball fan, dialed in. It's, it's been a lot of fun, you know, a lot of a lot of offense too, which which I know I know Hunter and I enjoy. So it's been uh, it's been been pretty awesome, man. We've done a lot of uh, Zoom calls. You have the most impressive Zoom background I think that we have. That is a heck. <laughs> 
of a, of a collection you got back there. You got bats. You got pictures. What's your favorite? Le- I think you got Emmys. I'm, I'm looking at Emmys right now. Oh my god! Well, you know what? I started I started Mayor's Office podcast about six months ago, and I'm pretty bootleg at first. And I'm like, I gotta I gotta start making myself look a little better here. You know, what I mean, I gotta start getting some action. And I had had this room, and I had all these pictures that I had framed. And then I just started putting them up and I was like, ah, oh, it looks pretty good. D Rowe was crushing me the other day. Like, Hey, when people walk into your house, you're like, do they turn right? And they go, Oh yeah, check me out. Look how good I was. And uh, do you want a sandwich or maybe a, maybe a smoothie or something, you know? So, so <laughs> it's kind of cool. You know, I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, looking back, it's, a lot of good memories back there really is what it is. Yeah, no, you have to have that try. Don't listen to D-Row. Don't listen to D-Row because <laughs> everyone's happy to see that and celebrate all the hard work you did. And it looks great for the for the Zoom podcast. We appreciate it, Sean. Obviously, they're going to hear this after game two. Can you talk a little bit about what you saw in game one, what your feelings are on the pulse of this series? And yeah, the, uh, the Astros are down a game, but what are your thoughts on, on the World Series as a whole and, and the Braves versus the Astros? You know, I think the Braves, you know, it was crazy to look at their season, you know, August 9th. They, I think they just got over 500 around the beginning of August, which is crazy. And make that run, Dusty Baker being in the postseason and being in the World Series, a chance to win it. I think that the Braves came out and sent a message because I, I think we all think that the Astros are really good and they are really good. And they've got, they got a really good team, a really good lineup. You know, bro, how tough it is. They, they don't strike out a lot. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a, it, top to bottom, they're, they're going to put together good at bats. And, uh, you know, nowadays in the big leagues, that seems like a, a lost art. So Atlanta will have their hands full, but Solaire coming out, you know, first at bat of the game and just going deep, you know, really sent, you know, I think, you know, Framber Valdez, uh-oh, you know, you know, quieted the crowd a little bit. And then all of a sudden, two runs, one run, two runs in the first three innings, you know, really threw a blow. And you know how that is, Hunter, when, you know, you're in the postseason, runs are at a premium. I mean, it's not easy to just come by and come back from a five-run deficit that early with the pitching that goes on. So I just think uh, the Braves sent a big message game one. You know, as a, as a visiting team, you want to go in and get a split if you can to get back to Atlanta for games three, four, and five. So big shot early on with the, with the Braves coming out for game one. Yeah, one thing that I want to ask you about is because when you look at the Braves and, and, you know, 88 wins and you've got the the Astros with 95 wins and you start to think like, oh, it's a little bit lopsided. But before the World Series, I'm looking over the rosters, the different permutations, the rotations. I think these teams are pretty darn evenly matched, like on talent to talent, because when you're talking an 88 win Braves team, you're not including Jock Peterson or Eddie Rosario or, you know, the moves that they made Solaire. And so I'm looking at these rosters and I'm thinking, like, which one would I want to face? The answer is no, I don't want to face either of them. So they seem pretty evenly matched. Is that about right? It is true, Grant. When you go up and down and you're just like, you know, if you go Altuve, Brantley, Bregman, Alvarez, Correa, Tucker, Gurriel, I mean, loaded. But then you go over to the Braves, and like you said, when you add Solaire with Freddie Freeman, Albies, Austin Riley, Rosario, Duvall, Darno, I mean, Jock Peterson hit eighth. I mean, I think Alex Anthopoulos did a great job because I think even at MLB Network, we were we were thinking maybe the Braves should punt at the deadline because they're, they're below 500. They really have underachieved. He thought opposite. He said, let's go, let's go all in with the terrible hand that we have and see if, what we can do. Cause he knew they were playing good ball. They just weren't getting wins. And you look at that rotation too, with the Braves, you know, with Charlie Morton and Anderson and Freed at the top there, you know, and that bullpen has been, been a few pretty lights out for them. So you're right. It's an evenly matched series. There's a lot of star power on both of these lineups, and I think that's why hopefully we see a long series. Yeah, Sean, you're not wrong. And, and, you know, you talk about these Astros hitters, and it's like you know all of these names. And what's actually even crazier is that Tucker was probably their best hitter this season, and not many people know that. Like, if you're looking at, like, OPS, which not everyone buys into, but I I feel like that's – besides speed and stealing bases, that's the offensive number that I I rely on the most. So, like – and he's the one you don't know that well unless you're really following the Astros. And we brought him up a couple times. But I think that the pitching, which is like if you're looking at the halfway point, Charlie Morton in the first half wasn't what like wasn't doing what you expect from a Charlie Morton. Had kind of a rough first half. Really kind of sealed it up in the second half. You know, getting Freed all healthy. And Freed to me is like a one amongst like he's probably the best pitcher in this series as far as a starting pitcher minus just the one start against the Dodgers maybe some adrenaline chance to win the World Series but I think the pitching edge goes a little bit to the Braves and 
that's saying a lot because Astros pitching is incredible. They have a very strong bullpen, especially getting Graveman at the break. So to me, though, I think pitching and defense is kind of like the key. And and you got Matzik throwing 99 from the left side. You know, Will Smith has really dialed it in here in the playoffs. And watching the defensive play of, of Eddie Rosario. Let's talk Eddie Rosario and, and throwing out Gurriel last night. I think that that was a pivotal moment that just shows that, like, everything just seems to be following the Braves' way. Like, but the, you know, to me, what's your thoughts on the pitching matchup here between these two teams? Bro, you know better than anybody else with the career that you had and, and all the things that you accomplished, you know, pitching and defense win it, especially at this level. You know what I mean? It's like, and the guys on the bump. I mean, I think when you look at the postseason, we all say, hey, the bullpens are where it's at. But yeah, you still have to have an ace starter to bridge the gap to that pen. Because if if the starter gives up five in the first three innings, I don't care how good your bullpen is. You're, you're playing from behind. You're, you're in big time trouble. So, you know, when I look at those, those staffs, I think you're right. The edge goes to the Braves as far as the starters go. Because you know, especially with McCullers being out. I mean, he was kind of the ace for the Astros. People don't realize, you know, what a big hit that is for them because they got through the series against the Red Sox and McCullers wasn't a huge factor, you know. So, you know, I think not having him for this World Series definitely hurts. And I think you're right, man. The bullpen for the Braves is pretty nasty too. So the Astros have their work cut out for them. And I think one thing the Astros built is this lineup is built for good pitching. You know, I think that's one thing they have going is that they hit good pitching. You know, Altuve and Brantley at the top there, Bregman, these guys hit good pitching. So that'll be interesting to see how that lineup, if they can take that, those are starters from the Braves and maybe get to them early. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. You know, before you got on, Hunter and I were talking about off days and, and how they affect the postseason. Just, you know, it, it's such a big difference. When I'm looking at the two bullpens, right? And so if you've got, obviously, the starting pitching, getting them on track is going to be the most important thing. But then once you've got four or five solid innings from your starter, then you have relievers kind of stretching themselves and the off days allow the managers to stretch them out. And when I look at the two bullpens and I see, and I'm trying to guess which one might benefit more from that guaranteed rest, I'm thinking the Braves are just a little bit better set up to have like Matzik come out and just give what he's got, Luke Jackson come out. Like I like the Astros bullpen to a point, but I think the Braves benefit the most from from the guaranteed off days. I agree. You know, when you talk about Matzik and, and these guys and Minter, you know, power arms that are max effort guys, you know, so anytime you give a max effort guy a day of rest, they come back max effort. You know what I mean? I think that's the biggest thing with these bullpen arms is that, yeah, that, that rest day in the postseason means so much for those bullpens, especially the guys, you know, that Snickers bringing in that, 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 that have got those power arms. I really think that the, the playoff baseball is a lot different than regular season baseball because of the off days. And, you know, you've seen what the Giants did this year with the, with the Lions shift where they had like a lefty lineup, a righty lineup, Maybe like two everyday players, you know, like a like a Crawford or Longoria, and everyone else is kind of Chris Bryant towards the end of the year. But we've never seen that succeed in the in the postseason. Like when the Dodgers were doing it with Farhan over there, they had Bellinger and Max Muncy out in 2018 against David Price and Chris Sale. They're down 0-2 before they even get into the lineup. Did you notice a difference? Because I did as an everyday player. Once the playoffs came, I got refreshed with all of these extra off days. And it just like I had all of the at-bats and experience now with a healthy body. Did you notice the difference in that whenever you got to the playoffs? Well, I know for me, you know, I think the only time you're healthy is that first day of spring where you're like, let's get it on. What's up, guys? You're saying hi to everybody. And all of a sudden you're like, 
Ouch. I don't know what's wrong with my hammy, tight hip flexor, my back. I got to get in the cold tub to function. You know what I mean? So like by the time you're at postseason ball, you know, the feeling of like, okay, now we're, we're grinding. We got a little bit more of an adrenaline rush. The crowd's into it more. It's a different atmosphere. But I think those days off, they might help you with a little nick here or there that, you know, that you've had all season long to just regenerate a little bit. I don't know. Like, Hunter, you were just getting out of the game. I think the cryo saunas, the cryotherapy stuff, you know, there's so many things that are so different than when I played. I'm sure that, you know, is is that a big part for these guys now, too, that they have extra equipment to get ready on those off days? Yeah, there's definitely a lot more equipment and, you know, not all of them have cryo. You have to go like kind of seek it out or what the case, whatever the case may be. But even at the end of the day, you do that over and over, it, it kind of nullifies itself. Like, so like you're still hurting, like the, all of the, the technology still doesn't get that. I guess I remember thoroughly like having my back completely locked up and like still playing. And then just a few off days, just like took all of that. And then all of a sudden I was free and I was like, Oh, this is what it's like to swing. You don't even know you're hurt because you're just dealing with it for so long. That was, I guess, my experience. (laughs) It's funny when I go back to the 2006 postseason, we beat the Yankees first round of the division series. We come out to Oakland and we play Oakland first round. We're facing Zito. I blow out my calf. Yeah. I remember like the first freaking game. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like nine years in the big leagues. I've never been in the postseason. I'm, you know, on the verge of the World Series, I blow up my calf. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Well, what was crazy was we beat, we swept Oakland in four, and then the Cardinals and the Mets were going to that game seven. Thank God, because I had 11 days, which is not ideal for hitting, obviously timing-wise, but I had 11 days to heal my calf and get back. And so when I came back, it was just a matter of like, okay, I, I felt good, but it was a matter of like, just being able to get out there and play. And I know those days when I got back to game one of the World Series, I know the days that we had off helped me so much to get that calf just a little bit better, a little bit better. So I look back at my time in the, in the World Series and that, in that run and say, thank God for those off days because you know I just don't know if I would have played if I didn't have them. You did really well in that World Series. And I've always wanted to ask someone this. And now I've got someone I can ask. What in the heck was up with Jeff Weaver in that World Series? <laughs> I stare at his baseball reference page sometimes because he wasn't that, you know, he was, he was solid before and after. He had some effectiveness, but he was like a baseball deity in that World Series. What was he doing right? You know what? I mean, you know, I faced Jeff pretty much my whole career. I don't know, man. He felt like the Jeff Weaver from back when he first broke in. He was got a little nastier in that postseason, which was terrible timing for us with the Tigers, you know, because we, uh, you know, we end up getting slapped around a little bit in five games. But yeah, Jeff Weaver uh, came out and, and pitched great in that series. And we were hoping that it was uh, the Jeff Weaver that was uh, maybe a few months earlier that was throwing some meatballs up there. But he still had that cutter working and things and, you know, really took it to us. I I was bothered by that, Grant. I'm still bothered by that to this day. You know what I mean? I, I might have to call Weaver and say, what the hell is going on around here? You know what I mean? That season was one of the craziest seasons. And I remember watching your swing with your calf and like, you could like see it in, in, your, in your pants. It was crazy. Yeah. Like you saw yeah. it pull. Yeah. And then the fact that you played in the World Series was nuts. But that Cardinals team limped into the postseason more than you could ever limp into a postseason. They like lost their way and like bare, like Smoltz, I think Smoltz came back to beat the Astros in the last game of the season to stop this Astros charge. And then I don't know how Larusa and the Cardinals or whatever, but like once again, this is what I'm talking about. It's like all of a sudden things change in the postseason. 107 win Giants, 106 win Dodgers, 100 win Rays. They're all done, and we're here with the 88 Braves. Who I love Jock Peterson's quote. He's like, "We might be those MFers, you know? Like we only won 88 <laughs> games, but we might just be those dudes." Because when the postseason comes, be hot now, and all yes. of their pitching got better now. And obviously, like this is going to be a fun series because the Astros. What they did to the Red Sox, like, can we even get into this? Like, do you remember, like, after game three and what they did to the Rays and how it looked with the Astros and, and the Red Sox? Do you think that pointing at the watch from Rodriguez had anything to do with, like, this momentum shift? Because the Astros came back after game three and they completely shut down the Red Sox offense. Well, you saw Alex Cora's, uh, you know, reaction. He was like, no, don't, don't no, wake no, him don't up. Wake, don't, don't wake anybody up. Don't give these guys anything to go on, you know? And, and uh, you know, I thought like when the Red Sox went up 2-1, I'm like, wow, they're banging. Like they're, they're, they're on this pitching, you know, they're hot. 
And then all of a sudden, yeah, it was like the, you know, maybe a, like a little rallying cry, like, okay, guys, let, let's get the mojo back, you know, something's here. And then they, they came out, had that tough game. I think they won it in the ninth or extra innings was that game four. And then all of a sudden they got the mojo back. You know, Hunter, it's exactly it. Just get in, just get in and anything can happen. And, and it's the team that's hot at the right time. And I feel like, yeah, after the Rodriguez thing and check out the watch, Boy, did things flip big time after that. And the Astros really went to a level where we said, wow, this is the team to beat right here. These guys are good. So that's fascinating to me, like the bulletin board material. I want you guys just to talk about that more. Like how much does it actually affect it when you see something? You go, oh, 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 word. Okay, you're thinking that now. Like how much does that affect you as players? For me, like that's a big deal. Like the whole team is going to see that. And like, first of all, Correa probably, I mean, that's, that's pretty bold to do that, to, to hit a homer and do that. And it's my time at home plate. So obviously, you know, the Red Sox are going to take, they're going to take offense to it. But the thing you don't want to do is you want to hold that. Like you want them to be the villain. Let them be the villain and you the charging in. As soon as he did that back to him, now we have two villains and, and you re-spark the other team. Because you're the team that sparked, in my opinion. Sean, what are your thoughts on that? It's like hitting a guy out of bounds at 15 yards. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, like, oh, what are you doing? Like, I know as human beings, we're out there playing in uniform and stuff, but we're looking for stuff. Give me a reason. Give me a reason to fight back. Give me a reason to fight harder. Give me a reason to rally the troops. Anything, you know, like you're looking for reasons. So that's why I think Alex Cora was so adamant. Like, like, let's give no reasons to anybody. But when the, you know, when, when the toothpaste is out of the tube, you're like, ah, man, we gave him a reason. You know what I mean? And at the same time, like it can work both ways. You never know which way, but like you said, you don't want to give them any rallying cry. They had given you a rallying cry. I'm right. not sure if that had anything to do with it. Cause at the end of the day, you still got to play baseball. I felt the difference between like having like a, a really powerful emotional spirit. I don't know if you want to call it like spiritual energy, but like you feel lifted up by something that's fueling you. And when you feel a fire, these competitors have egos uh, no matter how much you want to be humble and, and the most humble baseball player they have an ego and when you're trashing them they're going to come back and I do think that that kind of fueled Rodriguez because he really stepped up as it got clutch but then they just like you said they the toothpaste was out of the tube they passed the torch Sean I want to ask you a little bit more just a little bit deeper here what are the most impressive hitters uh, of this whole series and, and yes there's great talents and everything but watching Michael Brantley Talk to me, left-handed hitter. I feel like he gives one of the most professional at-bats ever. Can you can you go any deeper on, on Brantley and, and just like what makes him so successful? You know what, Hunter, what I love about Brantley is, you know, you could break down the swing. Not a lot of head movement. As a matter of fact, my, my one son is a lefty, the 18-year-old son. I'm like, watch Michael Brantley if you want to just simplify things. If you want to just make it as basic as possible, he kind of spreads out. Not a lot of head movement. And that's why he hits lefties and righties so much, I think. I think there's not a lot of movement forward or, or you know, I think he just kind of bumps back. It's not really a huge step. Really just has electric hands. So, like, you know, you'll see him wear out the shift. You'll see him pull a ball down right for line. He's got some pop to left center, right center. He's a tough guy to navigate. And I've been saying this before, too. I think I did a breakdown on him recently on MLB Network. I said, listen, the reason Michael Brantley is so valuable to a team like the Astros or any team that he's on, he hits great pitching. And I think I put some stuff in him against Scherzer, him against Bueller, him against Lance Lynn, him against Liam Hendricks, him against the closers. So, like, you know, Hunter, how many of these games come down to the wire where you're bringing in a nasty closer to face guys? When you face a guy like Michael Brantley, he hits nasty pitching. So this guy's invaluable. And you could say, oh, he's power numbers, this and that. No, I, enough. Like, we have guys that are going to hit the ball in the ballpark. And how many guys – OPS is the number I like too. How many guys, you know, you look at that, oh, this guy's got uh, – hits a buck 98, but he's got this – his OPS is just a little uh, over 800. Well, sometimes, or 900, sometimes that can be a little misleading because this guy doesn't hit good pitching. He's hitting a buck 96 because he, with a game on the line, he's an out. He's not getting He's not getting a hit. He's hitting the three, four, five starters. He's hitting the middle, middle relievers. You know, so I think for me, a guy like Michael Brantley, this is the guy, if you're the Braves in the back end of that pen, you don't want to see a guy like Michael Brantley with the game on the line. An extraordinarily valid point that OPS doesn't necessarily tell the whole story because 
there's a thing that that the Giants talked about a lot with like compound interest and not swinging at at balls and like and like pitch selection and working counts and and getting deeper into counts and how that affects the long term. It, it starts adding compound interest as the games go on, as the series goes on. And Brantley is one of those guys that's going to work a count. That's going and like so. These are some of the intangibles and numbers that don't show up on OPS. And like you said, like. Yeah, with the game on the line, a big pitcher, you need someone to have a good at bat. Like, where are you going to go against him? If you're out of the strike zone, he doesn't swing. If you come into the strike zone, he's going to bang. And you're going to have to take your shot at someone with really good hands and hoping he hits it at somebody. And that's the kind of guys that, like, do have success and go. There's a reason Brantley keeps going to the playoffs and keeps going deep into the playoffs. When he was with the Indians, they were winning. I think that's a very valid point. And I think that's one thing that I would like to add into, like, as far as OPS with hitters is looking at, how many pitches are you seeing? How many? What are you swinging at out of the zone? And what are you swinging at in the zone? Because I watched the Giants' season this year. They were so good at it. The Dodgers are so good at it. And the Astros are so good at it. And there's a reason those three teams had such good years. That's a great point. There's a reason those guys are 100-win seasons, You know, all of them right around 100 wins. Like Because they grind you out for 162. They put together deadly at-bats that are – eight, nine, 10 pitch at bats throughout the lineup. And that's tough to navigate for pitchers if you face, if you face them all the time. We started this show with a, a clip from the very beginning of the season with Hunter Pence saying, A, the Braves are going to be in the World Series. B, the Dodgers aren't. Uh, C, the Giants are going to make the postseason. This is back in March. We're all very impressed with Hunter Pence's predictions. So now we're recording this before game two. I'm going to start throwing predictions at you guys. How is the rest of this World Series going to go? I picked the Astros in this series just because I just think they, you know, I, it, it was almost like after game one, you, it's just human nature to go, wow, the Braves are really good. You know, what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, wow, these guys, you know. But I remember thinking that way when it was 2-1 with Boston, when Boston was so, the, the pendulum had so, swung so far in the boss's favor, like, oh, man, this could be a five-game series. And then here come, here come the Astros come roaring back, right, and rattle off. I think three in a row. So the Astros are too good of a team. I really think this series goes seven, and I think the Astros win it in seven. That's a good one, Hunter. You want to you want to double down, or do you want to you want to go to a different direction? So here's the thing: is is before the series started, I, I was picking the Braves, and just because I believe in their pitching, their bullpen, and the Astros are good. I, and I'm like, you know what? It's so tough to call. This is a tough series to call because the Astros, and I agree, the Astros can answer to this. I think Charlie Morton. Breaking his leg is actually a bigger deal than than it looks. I mean, it's a really big deal because he was a big reason why I picked the Braves to win the World Series. Is they got Charlie Morton, they got Drew Smiley, who last year I played with on the Giants, and he was insane. And he didn't have the same first half, but he's been hot this second half. He had a good start for them in the playoffs as well. So here's my thing: Max Fried to me is the best starting pitcher in, uh, on either team that's healthy right now. He's coming in today. I think the Braves, this is somewhat of a must win, as, as weird as that sounds, because Charlie Morton's down. And I do think, like like Sean said, we're potentially going to game seven, and they're now down to Charlie Morton. I think Freed has to be Freed. If the Braves win tonight, they win the series. I think if the Astros win, I think the Astros win the series. So it's all I'm getting. For me, it's on game two, and y'all are going to hear this after game two. But I'm picking the Braves because I'm saying Max Freed is the best starting pitcher right now in most of baseball for this game. There's like five people I would want on the mound. He's one of them. And I'm taking the Braves to win tonight and to win the series. Yeah, game two is going to be hugely important. I, I do think, you know, before the series started, I couldn't put my finger on why I was picking the Astros. I looked at the rosters. I said, gosh, these are really evenly matched rosters from the rotation, the bullpen on down. But talking this through with you, and I'm thinking about the Astros hitters, and you're talking about Brantley, you're talking about Correa and Altuve in, in Bregman, and why are they good? They can hit good pitching. These are not guys feasting on the garbage. And so I think that's going to be the coin flip is that, I, A, you've seen these batters do it before. You've seen exactly these batters in the World Series thrive. But, uh, you know, B, they're just, they tend to hit good pitching. And that's going to be the deciding edge. So I will go Astros in seven as well. I think that's a prediction. I'm not stealing it. I'm just uh, uh, seconding it. <laughs> the Dodgers pitching is just easy for the Braves to hit, apparently. 
Yeah, right. And so was the Brewers pitching, by the way. Go check the numbers. Thank you, Nick. Let's go. What? Let's go. What? I know, like, like honestly, though, the Astros hitting Rodon though in 97 and Lance Lynn, these are two animals, but the Braves can hit too, guys. But I love it. I love it. The Braves can't hit, bro. And they showed it game one, brother. They, and they, they'll keep banging. They'll keep banging. It's going to be fun. I love it. That is good. That is good. All right. Well, we want to thank uh, Sean Casey. Thanks for coming on. Uh, we really, really do appreciate it. Uh, make sure to check out uh, the Mayor's Office, your podcast, uh, your MLB network coverage. You're, you're doing live stuff. Uh, Atlanta, Houston. Uh, you've got Jason Grilly coming on. I mean, as a Giants nerd, come on. That's that's a 1997 that's first round draft cheese, pick. cheese, baby. The Grilly cheese. <laughs> the cheese, baby. The grilled cheese. <laughs> man, yeah, we just had Grilly on the podcast all week this week it's it's really a great one man the story of, of Grilly is great too we talked about him being the fourth pick of the draft and then you know his dad steve was played a cup of coffee in a big league so just a wonderful dude man you, you know hunter you've come across him just a great guy and and uh yeah Absolutely. i appreciate it guys thank you for the I time sean it. we appreciate no, having you it means a lot no i appreciate it hunter big fan of yours too bro always have been loved how you played the game man you played it right and I always told my kids, watch this guy play. That's how you should – he plays with his hair on fire all the time. So, thank you, man. Appreciate you too, it. Sean. You, you, you right. paved the path. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, brother. Thanks, Grant. Appreciate it, man. All right. We'll thank see you. Thank you for coming on, man. All right. Thanks to Sean Casey. That was great. I really enjoyed that. I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun to talk to, to someone who's obviously, like, loving this as much as we are. Absolutely. Sean's incredible. Incredible storyteller. Great baseball spirit. Knows his stuff. Uh, so fun to have him on the podcast. What an honor. You're definitely going to want to check out his podcast as well. Unbelievable baseball family. Part of the baseball family. And uh, really, really is exciting to get his perspective. And it's right. The Astros have been hitting some good pitching. I, I love hearing it. And you're right. The Braves can hit. The Braves can hit. I'm not dismissing the Braves. I just, I couldn't put my finger on it because honestly, like I have a ton of respect for that Braves offense. Like Austin Riley to me is, is just hitting another level. Um, you know, Eddie Rosario. I can't Eden, hear NLCS. you through your predictions. I can't hear you. <laughs> still picking the Astros. I still am picking the Astros. All right. You know what? The next time we talk, it's going to be the World Series might be over. Like, it's going to be next week. It might be before a Game 7. It might be after uh, the Braves sweep. It might be after the Astros win in six. I have no idea, but uh, we'll have stuff to talk about, right? Yes, we will. We will have stuff to talk about. I'm excited. I'm going to enjoy every one of these. Get your popcorn out. I can't wait for the next game. It's fun times as a baseball fan. All right, this has been episode 31 of The Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. We will be back next week. We will talk about the World Series because that's what we do. Thanks so much for listening. Playoffs! I love coffee! <laughs>